Hello SFIA audio listeners, in this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, we'll take a look at what sorts of alien behemoths might be possible under known science. To hear it and every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash IsaacArthur and use my code IsaacArthur. This video is sponsored by CuriosityStream. Get access to my streaming video service, Nebula, when you sign up for CuriosityStream using the link in the description. We often talk about building large, rotating space stations for people to live on in the future, but just how big can we go? So today we'll be looking at some truly enormous space habitats that we might construct in the distant future, but maybe not too distant. Our big four structures to look at are the Bishop Ring, the McKendry Cylinder, the Topopolis, and the Banks Orbital. These occupy the size range in between the O'Neill Cylinder, which we've discussed so often before, a structure big enough to house around a million folks with lots of elbow room, and the Niven Ring World which has about a million times the living space Earth does, and you can see both of those episodes for details on them. Last week we looked at graphene, the super strong material whose discovery, along with carbon nanotubes, opened the door for seriously considering building such behemoth structures using known science. You can check that episode too for details, but the key thing about graphene is that it's hundreds of times stronger than steel, and thus can be used to make much larger radius habitats when used in conjunction with other materials. Like ceramics, graphene is strong and hard but also very brittle, so you'd probably always be using it as part of a mesh or composite of structural support, rather than alone. Building a rotating habitat with Earth gravity requires essentially the same strength as a suspension bridge on Earth with the same length as the habitat's circumference, so when you want ones that are many kilometers wide, you need a very strong material. This is important for rotating habitats because the wider the rotating habitat is, the higher the tangential speed its outer surface is going to have while spinning, exerting stronger ripping forces and requiring a stronger material, though in terms of angular velocity, how often they spin completely around, that actually slows down. A lot of our designs rely on either high material strength or simply making the habitat much longer than its radius, which the Topopolis is the extreme example of and essentially today we're going to be looking at all the cheats we can use to make a very large space habitat with a continuous living surface, or one that effectively is. Let's not skip the basics though. We need to use spin gravity because we can't artificially generate normal gravity under known science. Spin gravity however acts close enough to regular gravity and even more so for very large habitats. Small rotating habitats, what we normally call the habitat drum on a smaller spaceship or space station, have an issue with their rate of rotation potentially causing nausea, and from the apparent gravity being much higher on your feet than your head, since it's proportional to radius. If I make a habitation drum that's just 3 meters or about 10 feet in radius, then it's going to need to rotate 17 times a minute to achieve 1G, regular Earth gravity, at its bottom inner edge, the floor. Outside it's spinning around at 5.4 meters per second or 12 miles per hour, anything out there would be flung away at that speed if it wasn't fastened down. That's what your floor is trying to do, fly off at that speed, and needs to be strong enough not to rip apart, though at that speed pretty much any material can handle it, even stuff like paper. However, it also needs to be able to handle the weight sitting on it, a person in some furniture or equipment in this case and very thick layers of water or dirt when we're talking about actual habitats, trying to replicate a planetary surface and ecosystem. 
To add to that, in such a small drum, rotating so fast, about every 3 seconds, it is going to be rather nauseating. Plus the gravity is linear to the radius of the drum, so while at your feet, on the floor of the drum, it might be regular 1G Earth gravity, a meter up this 3 meter drum it's down by a third, and most folks, depending on their height, would be experiencing about half normal gravity at head height. There is no gravity at the center of the drum, what we call the axis. This effect is true of all rotating habitats but the bigger you go, the slower they rotate, and the smaller that difference in gravity based on altitude is going to be. Since a few meters is a scale we operate at personally, as do most larger organisms, you won't really notice such effects on a habitat that is 223 meters or 733 feet in radius, though some taller trees would. That drum radius is for a habitat with Earth gravity that spins twice per minute, our best guess for the slowest you need to spin to cause no problems for humans. Animals won't be disoriented by spinning a couple times per minute, any more than you are by walking around a room and turning 360 degrees while you do that. It is possible some other organisms might turn out to be much touchier, but we don't know till we start building rotating habitats, everything on Earth is used to spinning once per day after all. Key notion there is the bigger you make them, in terms of radius, the more Earth-like it is, and this also matters for things like weather, since your atmosphere is very high even compared to tall trees, and as we noted a moment ago, if your drum radius is hundreds of meters, those trees would see a lower gravity at their top than their bottom, which would actually be their roots. The bigger the drum the less this effect, though it wouldn't necessarily be a bad effect, less gravity near the top, more ability to grow higher and have wide canopies, and we discussed that more in the episode Environment of Space Habitats. So we want them bigger, but we also want them bigger because it means more internal surface area that's all connected, double a drum's radius and you double its inside surface area. Now you can achieve the same effect by doubling its length, which adds no more rotational stress to the drum, or by just building two of the things, and that's another key point. We will never build the biggest drum we possibly could, except maybe as an experiment or an attempt to get into the Guinness Book of World Records, or Galactic Records perhaps, because while more land and more radius is always nice, the added costs and risks make that a dubious venture. Those risks can be non-obvious too, as for instance we can make a better and more self-contained ecosystem when we go bigger, but also have a harder time controlling virus outbreaks and invasive species than we would if we had a hundred habitats that have the same total volume but were separated. They'd probably be cheaper to build too, all hundred of them, rather than one big one of the same area. Usually when we're giving figures for the maximum size on things like an O'Neill cylinder, which assumes steel as the structure, we're already building in some padding rather than going to theoretical maximums for that material. The larger O'Neill cylinder design, for instance, still incorporates a 50% safety factor, We calculate that maximum radius by dividing the hoop strength by the desired gravity and density of the interior, so if you double your hoop strength you can double your radius, if you half your gravity you can double your radius, and if you half the amount of mass you're using for your dirt, sea, and atmosphere, you can also double the radius. Which is why filling your hills and mountains with ultralight aerogel and just a thin dirt or rock crust over it is so often discussed as an option for landscaping rotating habitats. You don't need graphene or some other super material to go larger, titanium lets you go larger, as do materials like Kevlar. Graphene lets you go larger yet, and we usually put the maximum plausible size on these as roughly 1000 kilometers in radius, with half that being more the expected max size. And we give the major form of these, a ring and a cylinder, the names of Bishop Ring and McKendry Cylinder, 
for Forrest Bishop and Thomas McKendry, who first thought them up and ran the numbers on them back in the 1990s after we discovered carbon nanotubes, which are essentially cylinders of graphene. I usually refer to anything smaller than a continent as an O'Neill cylinder regardless of materials and specific geometry, and the McKendry is anything up in these big zones. How big is a continent anyway? Well Australia, our smallest continent, though that's admittedly a rather arbitrary definition since Greenland might be argued to be one, as might subcontinents like India or Arabia, Australia has a land area of 7.7 million square kilometers or 3 million square miles. We will treat that as our minimum, especially as you would usually want some water in these things, though not necessarily anything like our 3 to 1 sea to land ratio as on Earth. You do want a lot of water if you want natural evaporation and rainfall levels, but this need not be large seas in favor of small lakes. Nor do they need to be deep, and for that matter you can always cheat and dump energy into that water to evaporate it faster. Nonetheless, how big is such a cylinder? Well it depends on how long it is, but if we kept to the classic Island 3 O'Neill cylinder design, two counter-rotating cylinders, each 4 kilometers in radius, and 32 kilometers long, spinning completely every two minutes, we'd have a basic design we could scale up. Incidentally, the 1975 summer study found the optimal cylinder was ten times longer than the radius, the Island 3 is 8 to 1, but there's no maximal length so long as you account for torsional harmonics with active stabilization. For one of those, that internal surface area is pi times twice the radius times the length, or about 804 square kilometers, and since we need almost 10,000 times that, which we could get by making it have 100 times the radius and length, 400 kilometers in radius, 3200 kilometers long, you could flat out double those numbers if you wanted 4 times the area to permit that 3 to 1 sea to land ratio of Earth while keeping an Australia's worth of land. So this Australia habitat with lots of seas is going to be a cylinder with a radius a bit less than 800 kilometers and a length a bit less than 6400 kilometers. If you're curious, we usually put the Titanium O'Neill cylinder as 14 kilometers radius, 8.7 miles, which is 3.5 times larger than the Island 3 cylinder and scaled up length would be about 10,000 square kilometers. Oh, that's a very big island, on par with Cyprus, Puerto Rico, or Hawaii's biggest island, but hardly a continent. We have other materials with better tensile strength without getting into carbon allotropes like graphene, but to get these to continent size we have essentially three options, lengthening, connecting, and layering. There is no maximum length limit on a habitat besides their tendency to wobble without a counter-rotating habitat or some other active stabilization, so a long titanium drum 14 kilometers in radius or 88 kilometers in circumference would require a length of 88,000 kilometers or 54,000 miles, or quadruple that if you wanted that 3 to 1 sea to land ratio. Now that is bigger than our planet's circumference, around double it, or eight times if we're including those seas. However, if we opted to put a great big ring around the whole Earth, up above geosynchronous altitudes, that would more than do the trick even if you were limited to using steel or wanted all that water. You wouldn't put it closer because even up at geosynchronous, gravity is still about 2% of Earth's surface normal, so one side of your ring will be experiencing slightly heavier weight. That actually might be handy as a way of creating tides, though even the titanium version spins around once every 4 minutes, so if you were sitting on a scale and normally weighed 100 kilograms, you'd see your weight move from 98 to 102 and back every 4 minutes, and feel a slight drift as you spun toward Earth, probably enough to make taller trees sway a bit and this would be decreased by going further out from Earth or increased if you tried to do it closer. 
This is not technically a Tapopolis, which is a vastly bigger structure, and as we have previously dubbed these circle habitats to avoid confusion with ring worlds, donut worlds, hoop worlds, and so on, though as this version described, one encircling a planet far below, as it has a fairly unique setup with that wobbling gravity, we will dub it a planet circling habitat, and not to be confused with orbital rings which can also be used to build continent-sized habitats or much bigger, and which as we'll see in a bit can be used to circumvent the material strength issue on rotating habitats. Now the Topopolis is an idea we get from Larry Niven, same as the Niven Ringworld and same as that structure, it encircles an entire star. Only in the Topopolis's case it can either loop around once or loop around many times, and it need not complete itself by having its two ends touch to form a loop, nor need it be around a star so a miniature version around a planet or even in the void of deep space wrapped around nothing, just a big hoop, or like some big ball of yarn, are all still Topopolises. To avoid confusion we'll call that last a ball topopolis, and a single one around a star, or nothing, a circle topopolis. Apologies incidentally, I often get stuck coining the names for concepts and structures on this show, and really I'm not very good at it. There are not too many examples of these in fiction, and indeed the only popular fiction example I know of beyond Niven's quick description of the basic concept is in Dennis E. Taylor's upcoming novel Heaven's River, the fourth installment in his Bobivore series. Dennis is a friend of mine and I consulted on that book and contemplating the more interesting notions involved in the structural, internal environment, and the societies that would emerge on it was a ton of fun as you might imagine. Topopolises are interesting because we usually envision them as essentially a river world, where the habitat in society is a lot like those we see on long rivers like the Nile. You wouldn't have to set this up as a single long river many tens of thousands or billions of kilometers long and might have two or four rivers in any given direction running the water back in a loop, again these don't have to connect at their ends, but you essentially have a very long skinny environment, so coastal layouts make sense. From a practical standpoint you'd probably interrupt the landscape with airlocks or membranes for safety reasons, though these might appear as a circular mountain range where water got permitted through with a door ready to snap shut, or just pumped through underground in conduits. I'm very fond of these because in the first place, humans tend to like coasts and riverbanks anyway, and because the idea of some ridiculously long river you could sail down, passing through endless small nations bordering each other, has a big appeal. Now if we were treating this as an O'Neill cylinder radius, then you'd be looking at small city-states or possibly some longer ones akin to old Egypt, 25 kilometers wide and however long, or 88 wide if it were titanium not steel. However, there's nothing stopping you from doing those at graphing widths, in which case your long river would be cutting through segments the size of modern large countries, not counties or towns. For skinny cylinders, these are either going to be long ropes or sausage link affairs. Now the ball of yarn topopolis can confuse folks because they're wondering how it spins, and the key thing about these super skinny habitats is that just like a rope, any material has a certain length at which it becomes flexible and can spin around its axis too without any problems. The other key thing about most rotating habitats is that they are going to be embedded into a superstructure that either doesn't rotate or rotates very slowly the other way as a counterforce. For long skinny ones I call this non-rotating bit a sheath, same as the sheath on a wire, where in this case that wire spins inside it and there's a small vacuum space between the two, either supporting the internal drum on ball bearings or some magnetic field so it doesn't touch at all. If you are doing that non-rotating superstructure sheath, then yes you can wind it up as a very tight ball, just like yarn, and stick all sorts of vacuum trains, akin to the Hyperloop, between those strands for easy travel, though even going the long way down a single stretched out strand isn't as time consuming as you'd think, 
as you can get those vacuum trains moving very fast and energy cheap, potentially even a decent fraction of light speed for the really long ones, which makes an awesome way of launching spaceships, though from a practical standpoint something carrying nuclear bomb levels of energy running around your hull probably isn't wise as a derailment might blow a hole in your structure. That's another reason we like superstructures around our rotating habitats, it lets you have a lot of big dumb mass for absorbing damage. Ultimately, the cool thing about topopolises, circle habitats, and so on is that they require no fancy new material science, you just go longer once you get as wide as your materials, economics, and safety standards permit. Now as I said, when trying to make continent-sized habitats, you can make them longer but you can also connect them, of which the counter-rotating pair and sausage link styles are the simplest approaches, or you can layer them and that's where the McKendry Cylinder comes into play. While mostly known as just a giant O'Neill cylinder that has an internal surface area on par with a continent, what's special about these is that they aren't usually contemplated as a single cylinder, but rather a series of nested cylinders, and you'll sometimes hear me call this a Matryoshka McKendry as a result. Hypothetically you can do this on any cylinder habitats, but unless you are very wide, you can't really have that many cylinders with significant gravity on each layer or spin them at different rates. You could also have a problem spinning a giant cylinder inside the lower layer's atmosphere at different speed than that lower layer, and if you don't, you have lower gravity. But if you have a 10 kilometer difference between layers on an object whose superstructure is 1000 kilometers in radius, you can get away with keeping each next layer at a slightly different spin rate with the same gravity, or the same spin rate but only a 1% drop in gravity to each new layer up toward the center axis. That means you can pack a lot more land in the same volume. Though as a caveat I should note that you mostly aren't short on building space in the endless void of space anyway, though compaction and higher population density have advantages. They also have the disadvantage of making heat dissipation slower, which is problematic if you are lighting each layer of a habitat drum as you'll need external radiators to purge your heat. Also if those layers aren't far enough apart, the layers moving at different speeds will cause a lot of air friction which will also generate heat, so size really helps here if you want to do layers. If you go big enough though, you are no longer dealing with a pressurized can. In any rotating habitat your air is going to be thicker near the floor than the axis, but only when you start getting kilometers wide will this be more than trivial. However, on the really big ones, they actually have the diameter to create a genuine atmosphere that thins to nothing as you go up just like on a planet, and we call these open air habitats and this is what is of interest to us with the Bishop Ring. The ultimate ring habitat, Larry Niven's Ring World, simply relied on gravity or spin gravity to hold the air down no different than on a planet, but still required monstrously tall rim walls to hold the air from spilling over the side. The Bishop Ring is far smaller, but still big enough that it can have a natural atmosphere rather than one that's essentially air held in by a container, so while it still needs very high rim walls too, you can actually fly into the center axis rather than needing to dock to the side and then take an elevator down from that central axis spaceport. However, atmospheres go up a long way even if they thin down, so you would leak some air but depending on how high you went up, not very much. By the time you've gotten to 30 kilometers or 20 miles up, your air density has dropped to about 1% of surface air density, and if you go twice as high it drops to about 1% of that, in what is called the mesosphere, or meso-ring or meso-cylinder I suppose. You could go higher yet with your rim wall, especially as it could be a thin transparent membrane, as it hardly is a big deal if it gets punctured, and you might stretch such a thing all the way to the axis as it wouldn't interfere with seeing the stars. 
and given that such a structure is still rotating rather fast, twice an hour depending on how far you can push that graphene tensile strength, you might not care to see the stars moving that quickly. Or it might be considered a plus since the night sky whirling around every half hour, rather than every day, is hardly nauseating like it would be on a smaller station. Of course the Banks orbital, the Bishop Ring's big brother, rotates exactly once a day, we'll get to that in a moment though. So why leave it open at all, as opposed to putting a transparent thin layer of rim wall all the way up, as a full end cap rather than rim wall? Well, one nice thing about a 1000 km radius structure is that the outside is spinning at over 3 km per second, Mach 9 in terms of aircraft speeds, and that's a very nice speed to launch at, just let go of the structure, though if it has a superstructure this doesn't work but the Bishop Ring doesn't have to have one. However, you can't use that to land as easily, and if it's open down the axis, you can come in at an angle and aero break. Indeed if you do it right you could be spiraling around its upper atmosphere to lose all your speed and either pop up to some port at the central axis, or just fly down to the ground, even if you were at high interplanetary velocities when you arrived. This is not really necessary as we have lots of other options, but it's a neat feature and might be one people like having incorporated into their habitat. It also makes it much easier to incorporate a nice mirror array to bounce light in and properly simulate a normal 24 hour day. Longer versions of a bishop ring, entering McKendry cylinder length or longer, might have such a sun mirror or fusion-powered fake sun move throughout the sky on an axial track too, to give you a decent equivalent of a sunrise and sunset, as the light would be moving in an angle through a lot of air to give you that red coloring of the sky, though you could also lower the power or fold up your mirror or selectively generate or reflect your preferred wavelengths of light too. So we looked at lengthening these habitats to make them bigger, and layering them too, and we considered linking them and discussed some ways to do more than sausage links in our episode Life on Board in O'Neill Cylinder, where we contemplated making conglomerations of the cylinders to make a 2D net, or even a 3D setup like a platonic solid or a buckyball, which would be appropriate given that carbon allotropes like the buckyball might be what allow cheap and giant construction of such behemoths. Those can be a bit of a pain to try to connect land between, though a bit less of one for seas and only a minor hassle for air, as it would be very easy to connect a whole bunch of rotating cylinders with a low or no gravity pressurized sphere they are linked into, but it is doable for all if you really want to. You could also make a chain link string of bishop rings who shared a bit of atmosphere, but that does not work as well as when we contemplated doing it with genuine hoop worlds. But you can also contemplate going even bigger yet. It is dubious if we'd ever be able to make a full-sized bishop ring or McKendry cylinder out of graphene, we might be limited to something that was much wider than an O'Neill cylinder, but not quite that big, but that's only relying on material strength. I doubt we could ever make a material strong enough to create a Banks orbital, but we'll discuss a trick under known science for doing it in a moment. First, what is a Banks orbital? Well it's an idea from the late great author, Ian M. Banks, he presented to us in his first novel of his cultural series, Consider Phlebas, essentially a giant ring habitat whose radius was just right to produce Earth gravity on its surface while spinning only once a day, so that you could let it float like a planet around a sun, only it's the far interior side that's getting the sunlight. It still needs rim walls to keep the air in, but given that it has a radius of 1.84 million kilometers, or 1.15 million miles, even a rim wall a thousand miles high that leaks less air than Earth itself does would be trivial in comparison. 
This is your ultimate in-Earth replication, as you can't even cock it at a bit of an angle and orbit it as an ellipse to simulate regular seasons, though these would not vary by latitude unless you put some extra effort into the layout because you really want polar and equatorial conditions. Incidentally, that radius is for replicating Earth's gravity and day length specifically, and there is a single unique radius for any given planet's day length and gravity. That ring is rotating at 134 km per second, which is about a dozen times Earth's escape velocity, and a very nice interplanetary cruising speed for ships launching from it. This incidentally is why you still need those rim walls even on truly massive objects like this with a net mass that's of a planetary scale, because those air particles would be leaving very fast compared to the object's far smaller real gravity felt by nearby objects and particles. Now at that radius, 1.84 million kilometers, a circumference of 11.6 million kilometers, you get an Earth's worth of surface area for every 44 kilometers of axial length, and for it to be continent class, using our Australia definition from earlier, it would literally only need to be a kilometer wide and still be about as much sea to land as Earth is. Since your rim walls probably ought to be a lot taller than this, you obviously go bigger, but again, every 44 kilometers of length is another Earth. Now we usually envision these things as rather thin rings since we want them not to block out the sunlight or have a massive reflection from the other side that made it very bright even at nighttime, rather than as a cylinder, so you are probably keeping these somewhere around 10,000 kilometers in axial length, which would be about 200 Earths worth of land area. Since the whole point of this object is to use an external sun as a natural day, converting it into a cylinder habitat or even a topopolis of that radius wouldn't make sense unless your unobtainium building material just coincidentally allowed that as its maximum habitat radius. Now how do you build this thing without magically strong materials? Well, here is where active support comes into play, as you essentially are going to build a much bigger, thicker, heavier, and slower ring on the outside of it that the habitation ring will nest inside as the superstructure. We detailed the specifics more in the Ring Ward episode, but in short form you would hold the faster moving inner ring together by having it push off the more massive outer ring, which is probably a huge section tank of hydrogen or helium as it's cheap and abundant and not of value in artificial habitat construction except as raw mass or just for fueling a fusion economy. This technique works good in tandem with strong tensile materials too, so might be seen on rings and habitats far smaller than banks orbitals. The stronger your material is the better, but you can't just keep adding mass to things. As the pushing methods, you could either use magnetic or even maybe concentrated light to keep the inner ring bunched together instead of ripping apart, without needing to physically connect the two structures, which is important since as mentioned it's spinning at 134 kms per second and probably a bit more relatively speaking since the outer ring is likely to be spinning the opposite direction much slower but with much more mass to counter its angular momentum rather than being stationary. This is a lot more mass intensive than a normal rotating habitat, whose whole value is that they give you way more land per unit of mass than a planet does, usually by about a million fold, but it's still going to be much less than a classic shellboard with natural gravity would use per unit of surface area. Since that outer ring is effectively non-rotating and very massive, you actually would get a gas accumulation around it from gravity, which might make for a rather pretty halo look, and given that one of the other nicknames for Banks Orbitals is God's Bracelet, would make it sparkle and glitter rather appropriately. Such a structure could comfortably house a trillion people at a lower density than modern Earth, and those other continent-class habitats could house hundreds of millions or billions all on their own, 
without even needing to turn to hydroponics or supplemental space farms or making the whole thing agricultural land. These are truly large habitats you build large nations on or even mini-nations upon. It's not likely to ever be the most economical approach to building space habitats, truth be told, none of the continent-class ones like the McKendry or Bishop or smaller Topopolises probably ever will be, but they are doable under known science and so we probably will see them in the future. And of course, economics are very dependent on the technology you've got, so folks might decide they like these a lot more than the smaller ones, even if they are a bit of a pain to build and maintain in comparison. As we say on this show, go big or go home, or when it comes to continent-class habitats, go big and go home. We were talking today about developing in space and on a truly grand scale, But before we can even begin to contemplate that, we need to be able to protect ourselves from threats in space and from space, like asteroids and space debris, and we'll be exploring that in our new episode Asteroid Defense which is out now on Nebula. Nebula, our new subscription streaming service, was made as a way for education-focused independent creators to try out new content that might not work too well on YouTube, where algorithms might not be too kind to some topics, or demonetize certain ones entirely, or just don't fit our usual content. And if you'd like to get free access to it, it does come as a free bonus with a subscription to Curiosity Stream, which also has thousands of amazing documentaries you can watch, on top of Nebula-exclusive content from myself, like our Nebula-exclusive series, Coexistence with Aliens, and many other excellent works by creators like CGP Grey, Minute Physics, and Wendover. A year of CuriosityStream is just $14.99, and it gets you access to thousands of documentaries as well as complimentary access to Nebula for as long as you're a subscriber and use the link in this episode's description, curiositystream.com slash IsaacArthur. All those huge megastructures we're looking to build one day are going to require vast amounts of resources, and in two weeks we'll be looking at where we might get them all as we explore whether or not we should dismantle our own solar system to build them. But before that, we'll be taking a look at what life might be like if you wore a brain and a jaw, and if maybe you already are one. If you want alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you'd like to help support future episodes, you can donate to us on Patreon or on our website, IsaacArthur.net, which I'll link in the episode description below, along with all of our various social media forums where you can get updates and chat with others about the concepts in the episodes, and many other futuristic ideas. Until next time, thanks for watching and have a great week.